The year was 2004, August 22nd. The locations was Athens, Greece, for the Summer Olympics. They were in the final round of the 50-meter rifle competition, and all Matt Emmons had to do was hit the target, and he'd win the gold medal. The last shot was simply a formality. He needed a score of 7.3 to win the gold, and the lowest score he had had throughout the Olympics was a 9.3. So he lined up, he calmed his breathing, he aimed his rifle at the target, and he hit the bullseye dead center. As soon as he hit the target, though, he knew something was wrong because there was no applause, there was no score on the scoreboard, and he saw three officials huddled together talking about the shot that he had just taken. Finally, the officials walked over to Matt Emmons and they told him that he would be receiving a score of zero because he cross-fired. You have to know that Matt Emmons was the greatest gunsman in the world, the greatest rifler in the world. And so for him to cross-fire was an unbelievably rare mistake made by elite shooters. And here's what happened. Matt Emmons hit the bullseye. That was on the target, but it was the wrong target. So he was standing on lane two. He hit the bullseye on lane three. I want you to hold on to that thought for a few minutes. Let me look at the cameras in the back of the room, say a great big hello to our extended family, Go Church. If you're new here, we're one church in two locations. So we've got the wonderful people of South Metro Atlanta. That's all of you in the room. Make some noise. Come on. And then 700 miles from here in Germantown, Maryland is our Go Church family. So we welcome all of you via live stream. Make some noise for Go Church. Come on, you can do better. Let them know you love them. Love you all so much. And today is a really special day at Go Church because early this morning, our campus pastor, David Waldrop, who is homegrown right here in this congregation, this morning he got engaged. Come on, somebody. So Pastor David, Esther, as you stand, we bless you. Come on, congratulate them. Love you all so much. So excited for you. Man, we're just really, really proud and so excited about that. And you're wondering, well, why would he propose on a Sunday morning? Here's why. Because the first conversation he ever had with his fiancée was in that movie theater. So this morning he had rose petals lined up to the exact spot of their first conversation. All of that means this. Fellas, you and I, we ain't got no game. That's what that means. That is some straight game right there. Uh, hey, uh, let, me, let me give you one quick announcement, and uh, you'll see it on the screen. Before I do that, though, we always give honor to the military men and women that are serving our country. Come on, let's bless them. We love you. We salute you. We thank you. Come on, like wholeheartedly. Let's just bless them. Love you all so much. Thank you for those that are serving and those who have served. Uh, we, we get to have church and do church the way we do because of men and women that protect our religious freedoms. And so for that, we're forever grateful. On Sunday, April the 7th, we're, we're doing what we call Sunday Fun Day. If you've ever been a part of a Sunday Fun Day around here, you know, like, I mean, it is, it is next level. It's a whole nother level of church. We do this a couple of times a year because it's the perfect day to invite your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your mom and them, Kiki, Boo Boo, all of them. Bring them all. Everybody gets to come to church that day. Now, if they're already connected to a church, 
we're not trying to pull people away from, from churches. There's a lot of great churches in our community. But if you know somebody that's looking for a home church and, uh, and you love this place, we're a little biased around here, but we think this is the greatest church this side of heaven. So we're creating two special Sundays each year called Sunday Fun Day. And on April the 7th, uh, the whole theme is Grand Slam because we're getting ready to kick off baseball season. And so that day at both of our locations, we're encouraging you to wear your favorite baseball team's gear if you'd like to. We've got games, we've got prizes, we've got giveaways, we've got food. I mean, again, we're pulling out all the stops for Sunday Fun Day. Last Sunday and today, as you leave, you're going to get some invite cards. Those are not tickets for admission. Those are invitations. So I want you, I want you to canvas the community. Everywhere you go, make sure you drop off an invite card to Sunday Fun Day. Uh, the key word here is invite, 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 invite. We'll be sure to put some more seats out on that day specifically. But we're believing what? Think about the power of one invitation. One invitation, what God could do in a moment of that individual's life just because you simply said, you know what, I'm going to invite somebody. So anybody excited for Sunday Fun Day? Come on now. It's going to be awesome. Put it in your calendar. Don't miss it. Uh, it's going to be great. Now today we're in week number four of a five-week series that we've been doing called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. I hope that you've enjoyed the collection of conversations we're taking the five Sundays in the month of March, and each Sunday we're tackling one foundational principle or topic that we believe will help you keep your family together. Obviously, there's a lot more than five things that we need to do to keep our family together, but we believe that these five things, almost above any other five things that you could do, will change the trajectory of your family. And I'm not just trying to give you my words, but we're looking at the words of Scripture we're listening to the Holy Spirit on what we need to do to keep our family together. And I've showed you this each week, but let me show you the five things. Now the list, we'll kind of see more of where we've come from than where we're going because we're in week number four. If you missed any of the previous weeks, I encourage you go back online, listen, and then share that to somebody you feel that could be a benefit to listening. Week number one, we talked about putting God as the foundation of your home, making God the most important thing. Week number two, we talked about forgiveness not just learning to forgive people and echoing the words of Jesus as he was on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But we also learned how to be less offendable, how to be less offendable. Last week we talked about margin. Did anybody enjoy last Sunday? And one of the, one of the principles that I gave you was building fences around your family tree's root system. That's what margin is. So not, not adding more to your plate, but actually giving you some liberty to realize that it's okay to say no. And I pray that this week you said no more than previous weeks, and that's okay. Because again, the priority is keeping God in the home and protecting the family, the family tree. And so we learn to say no. Today we'll talk about effort, and then we'll end next Sunday with this series on communication. And over the last few weeks, I've given you these uh, different principles to chew on, but I've also paired that with some scary statistics. And really quick, we're learning that somewhere between 40 and 50% of all marriages are now ending in divorce. That's heartbreaking. We're learning that one in three children will grow up in a home without a dad. That's painful, isn't it? We're learning that individuals that are starting a family are entering into that marriage with almost $49,000 of student loan debt. So if you just got engaged, like today... <laughs> Go on now. It's already starting to be complicated and challenging because of finances. How many know that finances can be a great pressure? 
So we're learning that over 7 million children take some form of an antidepressant. And then over 3,000 high schoolers attempt suicide every single day. Church, listen to me. The family is under great spiritual attack. The enemy is after your children, he's after your spouse, he's after your family structure, and we've got to combat that spiritual warfare with some things that are spiritual. Come on now. And so, so we've looked at these statistics, and then I've challenged you with this. While the stats suggest that the average family is not doing great, our confidence is in God, and our prayer has been, watch, my family doesn't have to be average. Come on, anybody agree to that? Hey, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to be more than conquerors. For me and Kimberly, we, we refuse to be another statistic. For me and my children, I refuse to allow them to grow up in a home without a dad. Like, we're going to rise above. We're not going to settle. Come on, I want that to get in your spirit. We're not going to settle. We're going to push through the hard times. We're going to celebrate the good times. And in the name of Jesus, which is the name above all names, we will not be average. So on the count of three, both campuses, I want you to say this as a declaration. I, I want this to be the family motto or mission statement. You ready? One, two, three. My family does not have to be. Now say it like you really mean it. Say it like you really, hold, hold, hold on. Say it like you really want it to be true. You're holding on to this promise. You ready? Come on, everything you've got. One, two, three. My family does not have to be. And, and we're helping you. I'm, I'm helping you. Every week I'm yelling at you. I'm helping you so much. But above that, we've created this website, 30dayfamily.com. If you haven't visited there, jump online. Go to 30dayfamily.com. There's a ton of great resources just to empower you as a husband, wife, son, daughter, in-law, etc., grandparent. Uh, there's also a 30-day family challenge calendar at this point in the series and at this point in the month of March. You should be downloading your own blank calendar for April and filling in the blank spots with things that you want to do in the month of April. Because listen to me, you can't just do this commitment to family in one month and then think, hey, everything's going to be great. This is an ongoing process and it requires effort and we'll talk about that. A big part of this is being in church all five Sundays I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you've done that, but many of you have made that commitment and you have overcome great challenges to be here, including the power of pollen. Come on, you're pressing through in Jesus' name, you know, and I'm so proud of you. And then part of that is because we're bribing your children. We told them if they come four out of five Sundays, they get a free gift. So today, many of them have hit that fourth Sunday. Now, I want you in, to encourage them to come the fifth Sunday as well. And so we're just trying to partner with you because we believe that your family does not have to be does not have to be average. And each week I've given you some verses to chew on. This is the theme verse. And here's what I recognize, uh, that I'm, I'm talking more to a crowd that's been here throughout the, the series than those who are just joining us for the first time. And so I don't need to repeat this theme verse, but I'm, I'm going to keep doing it until we all got it. Is that fair? So Jesus says, listen, you're going to have this life, and on this earth you only get one of them. And he says the importance is to build your life on Jesus. Not to build your life on the ways of the world, but to build your life on the ways of the word, on Jesus. And he uses this analogy when he's talking to his disciples some 2,000 years ago. And he says this analogy of a home. And he says, look, everyone who hears these words of mine and then puts them into practice is like a wise man 
and the wise man built his house on the rock. And I'm not questioning your education, but I'm just reinforcing the word. We know that the rock is Jesus. Come on. And he is the bedrock. So when everything else crumbles, when everything else falls, when everything else is inconsistent or changes, Jesus remains. Come on, isn't that good? And he says this. He says, when you got your foundation on the rock and the rain comes down and the waters rise and the winds blow, and how many of you know that's life? Nobody's exempt from challenges. Even, even though you watch Facebook and Instagram and you think everybody else's family is perfect, they got junk too. Come on, give me a better amen right there. Look at somebody and tell them, say, you got as many problems as I do, all right? So don't be casting judgment. So he says, when the rain comes, some of y'all really took that to heart. You're like, yeah, walking in here. <laughs> the rain comes down, the waters rise, the wind blows. Yet your home, your life, your marriage, your children will not fall because their foundation is the rock. Isn't that good? Man, and I can smell what the rock is cooking. Sorry, it's a dad joke, and I got a few today, so laugh at me, all right? Verse 26, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine, and you choose not to do it. So the difference is not knowledge and ignorance, it's obedience and disobedience. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine, and you choose not to do it, you're a foolish man. And you've built your house on sinking sand. And this is what he says, and I don't think I'm taking it out of context. He says, and no matter what you decide to build your life on, no matter what you decide to build your home on, no matter what you decide to build your marriage or family on or children on, the rain's still going to come. Still going to happen. So when you put it on sinking sand and the rain comes and the water rises and the winds blows, it will fall with a great crash. And this is the verse right here. When you hear these words... And then you do what the word says. And I'm not standing up here preaching uh, a series of messages saying that I've got it all figured out and I'm perfect. But one thing I'm trying my best to do in the life that God has given me is to take counsel of his word and then to apply that word to my everyday life. And I think for many of us, we're really good at going through the routine of church. We're really good at listening to the preacher preach or listening to a podcast, and then we refuse to do what the Bible says to do. And when we do that, it is no wonder that we've built our life, home, family, marriage, children on sinking sand. So here's today. All of that recap to give you today, we're talking about effort. Effort. On the count of three, say this one word with me. One, two, three. Effort. Let's say it with a little more effort. One, two, three. Effort. We're talking about effort. And I started today off a little differently by introducing you to a story about Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons was the greatest rifle shooter in the world. And he had the one responsibility of hitting that target to win the gold medal. Yet he shot at the wrong target. He was in one lane and he aimed his gun at a different lane. And I tell you that story because I really feel like that, that's a lot of us. That's so many of us. Uh, let, let me put it to you like this. We are all putting effort into something. Like we're all trying to accomplish something. We're all aiming at something. But the tragedy is, is that many of us were hitting the wrong target. So, so let me, let me, let me uh, share my heart like this. So you may have the respect of your coworkers, but you don't even have the respect of your spouse. 
You're out making a lot of money, but you don't have any memories with your children. You feel incredibly successful in your business, but you feel like a failure in your own home. And we've talked about this very idea in previous weeks. And I've told you, if you want your family to stay together and not, not just stay together and tolerate one another, which a lot of families, they do that, that they're not just living together and enjoying that life, but they're cohabitating. I mean, it's just like roommates. And if you want to really stay together, live together, and enjoy each other's company, it is going to require effort, like real intentional Effort, because every healthy relationship requires effort to get there. And this is what I've told you week after week. If you want your family to work, you're going to have to work on your family. And listen to me. Don't miss this. There is no way around that. You don't wake up one day and you've got a healthy marriage. You don't wake up one day in a nursing home and your adult children want to come visit you. It requires effort to sustain those healthy relationships. And here's my challenge. I want you to be careful because I think many of us were aiming at the wrong target. We're in one lane and we're aiming in the other lane. And sometimes we just zone out and we miss our target altogether. That idea of zoning out is the fundamental difference between a man and a woman. I'm about to go where no man has ever gone before. <laughs> as I do my best to tap into the brain of a female. Pray for me. <laughs> you've got a man and you've got a woman. Okay? I'm really nervous. Like all of a sudden, palms started sweating, blood pressure started. Because some of you ladies are like, what you going to say? I don't, nothing. <laughs> Here's the difference, though, and this is, neither one of these are negative things. This is just true, and I think you'll understand this in a moment. Uh, a woman's brain is uniquely wired. That's true. This is why mothers have incredible maternal instincts, because they don't think of just what's happening right now. Like, they see the big picture. Men are like that. Like when... <laughs> Well, you know what? Let's just pray and go home. It's going to get you out of here on time. <laughs> you know, so like when, I, when it's me and the kids, like I don't think about like five minutes from now. Like go ahead and jump off the couch. Everything's going to be fine, you know. But a woman's brain is wired and everything is connected. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but because everything is connected when something happens. For example, a disagreement or they feel mistreated or they feel neglected or they feel that you're ungrateful or that they're overlooked. Watch this, ladies, and just hang in there with me. But this wiring, one emotion triggers all of the other emotions. So whenever Kimberly and I have a disagreement and we get into this disagreement, that one particular argument will trigger emotions that will take her back to three, four, five, six arguments ago where in that moment she can then tell me the time, place, date, and what I was wearing when we had that disagreement. Anybody with me? I pray while you're laughing, you're praying for me. My back is sweating. And so a woman's brain is just all connected. 
So that's why when I have a conversation with Kimberly, I can see it in her eyes as all of the other emotions are starting to connect. And I can tell, JC, you're in deep trouble, bro. Just back away, back away. That's not a man's brain. That is not a man's brain. A man's brain is not wired together. A man's brain is made up of boxes. And a man's brain, this is what we do as men. We compartmentalize everything. So when Kimberly and I have a disagreement, it doesn't trigger any other emotions because I take that argument or that disagreement, I put it into a box, I close the lid on that box, and then I duct tape the box, and I put it in the attic. And I don't ever open up that box again because we have handled the problem. Women aren't that way. Okay, now watch this. And ladies, I wish that God wired you the way that he wired a man's brain on some parts. Because every man has one box that is called the nothing box. And let me tell you what goes into that box. Nothing. <laughs> Come on, how many of you know that I'm telling the truth right now? That's why when Kimberly is talking to me, there are times that I have entered into my nothing box and it is like the holy of holies. It is a sacred place. And Kimberly, all I hear is like the Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. And then Kimberly will ask me the most dreaded question she could ever ask me. And she'll say, now what did I just say to you? And I have to respond, I don't know. Because I've been in my nothing box. And ladies, you don't have a nothing box. Your mind never stops. And can I just tell you, and I think every man would admit, thank God for the nothing box. Come on, fellas. Isn't that true? Like we can just zone out for days, <laughs> weeks. I miss my last two years of birthday parties with my kids. I've just been living in a nothing box. It's the fundamental difference. But regardless of how your brain is wired, whether it's wired where every emotion is connected or you compartmentalize everything, if we're not careful, we won't even know what zone we're in. And that's dangerous. Because it's one thing to be in a zone. It's another thing to take up residence in that zone. And it's something entirely different to not even know what zone you're in. One of the great uh, leadership coaches of all time is John Maxwell. And Maxwell talks about four different zones. And I think that he relates these four zones to leadership. But I want to relate these four zones to the context of family. Write them down or you may want to take a picture because I'm going to move through them pretty quickly. The first zone that he talks about is the coasting zone. The coasting zone. And this particular zone, the idea is... I'll do as little as possible. Some of you are like, I married him. <laughs> I got married to her. They don't ever help out with anything. They do as little as possible. It's the coasting zone. The second zone, though, is the comfort zone. And you and I might think, well, this has to be a, a safe place, but it's not because the idea of the comfort zone is I do what I've always done. And let me just say this to you. If you do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Say that five times fast. So I always do what I've always done, and the results are always going to be the same. So I'm going to tread carefully here and respectfully, 
But if you're in your second or third marriage and there's problems there too, maybe you got to get out of the comfort zone. Anyway, I'll just keep preaching. The third one is this. It's the challenge zone. And I like this one because this one is I attempt to do what I have not done before. Let me talk to all of you for a minute, all right? So if you can ever get to this zone and you recognize that our family is under great spiritual attack, but I don't want my family to be average. When you get to the challenge zone, you'll say, you know what, let's go to counseling. I'll go to counseling. If, that, if that's what will help us, I'll swallow my pride and I'll go to counseling with you. I attempt to do what I've never done before. So here you would say, you know what, maybe I'm not communicating well with my spouse or with my kids or with my in-laws. So here, I'm going to attempt to do what I haven't done before, and I'll communicate better. Here's one, and I'll attempt to do what I haven't done before. Let me pitch in around the house. If I ever want to win brownie points with Kimberly, all I got to do is Swiffer. I'm telling you right now. Because she recognizes that he's attempting to do what he typically does not do. Some of you are like, I can't, but you don't help out either. The fourth one, though, is this, and I like this one. It's the creative zone. And in this zone, it's I attempt to think what I've never thought before. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what we talked about last Sunday. This is Romans 12, verse 2. That we have to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let me just pause and say this to you. So much of the conflict in your house is a mind game. It's a mind game. And the enemy wants to manipulate your thoughts so that you think everybody is out to get you, everybody is against you. But here it's, I attempt to think what I've never thought before, and you know what? Instead of thinking that, well, my, my, my mom and dad divorced, my grandparents divorced, so that's just the way it goes. No, 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 no. We attempt to think thoughts we've never thought before. I'm not going to be like them. As a matter of fact, I speak against that generational curse in the name of Jesus. For me and my family, we are not going to be an average statistic. We're going to be more than that. Come on and put your hands together right there. I think it's a great place. I attempt to think what I've never thought before. You know, every time I prepare a message, there's always great challenges that come with that. There's great spiritual warfare that, that I have to press through. And then on occasion, even I wrestle with writer's block. Because that basically what I do all day is write. If I, if I faced any challenge of preparation for today's conversation, it was what area of the Bible do we land on to teach us about putting effort into our marriage or into our home because the Bible is not void of scriptural references on how this works. So I really just prayed through that, and I felt the Lord land my heart on Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to give you verses 3 through 8, but I want to start right here because I really feel like if we can hold on to these few verses, and they'll preach themselves, I'll add some to it, not taking the Bible out of context, but to give a little bit more thought for you to chew on. But these scriptures will change the trajectory of your family. The verse starts out like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. I don't like that too much. Because there are times that I want to be selfish. And there are times that I can even justify, even spiritually try to justify, 
my desire to be selfish. Come on, ladies, let's be honest. Sometimes a three-hour shopping trip to Target is just what the doctor ordered. Come on, fellas, sometimes an all-guys fishing trip is what we need to do. <laughs> it's like started out with clapping and then realized nobody else is going to clap. So how do we define selfish ambition? Well, the word ambition is a strong desire to do something or to achieve something. That doesn't sound bad. God, God wires us that way. But being selfish is lacking consideration for other people. So when you tie these two words together, selfish ambition, then you recognize that it's accomplishing something at someone else's expense. So let me bring some clarity to these few verses, or this one verse. The Bible doesn't say that you and I don't get to be concerned about us sometimes. The Bible doesn't say that you can't take a break when you need a break. In terms of, let me just run some errands without the kids attached at my hip. You know, for some of you parents, the season that you're in, you just love to have a bathroom break without interruption. Okay? The Bible doesn't say that you can't be selfish in that respect. It doesn't say that you can't have ambition to accomplish something or to achieve something. God wired you with that desire. But what the Bible is saying is that when it comes to relationships, there will never be a time, not one moment in that relationship, that you get to win at the expense of somebody else. Never, never can you do that. And if you're in a relationship with somebody that's always winning at your expense, that's not true love. And I want to talk to those that are dating, or maybe you're even engaged, but you're not married yet. Because a lot of what we're talking about is for those families that are fighting for their family to keep that marriage unit together, to raise children. And maybe you're in this season where you're just dating, you're engaged. I want you to know something. If in that relationship, that man or that woman is always winning at your expense, you need to drop him or her like they're hot. Because you need to know why. Because marriage doesn't make it easier. And if they're already showing signs of selfish ambition, you getting married will only add to that. It won't fix that. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but I believe it's somebody. You cannot fix them by marrying them. And in counseling, pastoral counseling, we hear that all the time. Well, when we get married, I'll fix them. Honey, his own mama couldn't fix them. I need to get back to my notes. Thank you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of vain conceit. That's hard because we're all selfish at times. And then watch this. Rather in humility. So now you're telling me that I have to be humble? In humility, value others above yourselves? That's hard. And I'm telling you, if you do that, it's going to require effort. Okay? It goes on, verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of who? Yeah, like your kids, like your wife, like your husband, like your parents. And then this is the verse, and I'm going to come back to it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, 
being in very nature of God, did not consider quality, uh, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Verse number seven, rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a what? The Bible says that he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. Can I tell you that your children are not your butler? Your wife or your husband is not your maid? We serve each other. That's the mindset of Christ. And so he took on this nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Look at verse 8. In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And I told you all of these will preach, but it's verse number 5. Wow. That in our relationships with each other, that we have to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What does that look like when it comes to your family or relationships. I'll tell you, at least my interpretation of having the same mindset as Christ with one another is this. Jesus said, I love you so much. I'm talking about Jesus here. I love you so much that I'll give everything. I'll sacrifice all of it, even if you don't return that same love. I'll give you all of me, even to the point of death, on a cross, knowing that many of us would never reciprocate that type of love. And he says, listen, I'll love you this much, so much so, that he hung on a cross. And he said, even if you don't give me that type of love back, I still love you. That is the power of genuine love. I was talking to some of the team this week and uh, was pitching them some of the ideas of this message. And had this idea. You, you ever heard, and, and they seem to, to like it too, but have you ever heard of the, the phrase, an A is for effort? Come on, show me your hands. Both campuses have you ever heard an A is for effort? Yeah, I got through high school because the teachers gave me A is for effort. You know what I'm talking about? So an A is for effort means that you tried. You, did, you didn't really succeed at it, but you tried. So I'm going to give you an A for effort. You know, my son, he, he, plays, he plays rec baseball, not travel baseball, but rec baseball. And I'm one of the assistant coaches for this rec baseball team. And, you know, the kids, some of them are, they've, they've got great potential. And then other kids are just really cute. And uh, the majority of them, <laughs> you know, the majority of them at this age, they're having a real tough time comprehending the game of baseball. So we give out a lot of A is for effort awards. Are you following me? So because I, I don't want to demoralize them, I, I, don't, I don't want to put them down, I don't want to kill their hopes and dreams, because 95, 96% of the kids on that team, when you ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a baseball player. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, bro, <laughs> like, I don't want to be the one to tell you, <laughs> but it ain't going to happen. But I would never do that. So when a kid gets up and they strike out, I don't say, come on, man, don't be a loser. Oh, that's terrifying, isn't it? I'll say, hey, good try, buddy. Get them next time. <laughs> next time is your time, champ. Oh, God, you know. No, it's not. But it's an A for effort. It's an A for effort. 
So I had this thought because an A for effort is like I tried, but I just fell short. But today I want to give you three A's for effort that if you apply them, it will work. If you apply these three A's for effort, it'll work. And as a matter of fact, I had this image come into my brain of a triple A battery. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like the one battery you always need, but the only ones you find is dead. You know what I'm talking about? A triple A battery. And, and because of the name brand, I thought of a Duracell battery, a triple A Duracell battery. But my heart for you is not to be a Duracell family. My heart for you to, is to be a durable family. Come on, give me an A for effort. I tried. My family is not average. So I'm going to give you three A's. I knew you wouldn't like it. Give me a better A for effort right there. Triple A for effort. You ready? Here's the first one. You need to acknowledge your own issues. I don't anticipate that I'll get a lot of new friends on this one, but I have to be honest with you. You have issues. This is why no one comes to me for counseling. <laughs> Nobody. Because they sit down, what's the problem? Well, blah, 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 blah. Oh, here's the issue. You. <laughs> because we all have issues. Like, like we all, we've all got them. And, and they are collected from history or pain or poor choices. But I think what you and I, especially JC, what I'm really, really good at doing is pointing the finger at everybody else, blaming everybody else. And when I was a kid, my mama told me that when I point the finger at you, there are three fingers pointing right back at me. And the truth is this, and somebody needs to hear me, you cannot be right 100% of the time. And you think, well, that's not true. I know it's true because you and I are not perfect. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And the one thing that we're so good at doing is your fault. It's your fault. And at some point, you've got to take ownership of our issues. Let me give you this question. It's not on the screen, and I want it to be rhetorical, but listen to me. When's the last time you admitted you were wrong? Like, I, I'm wrong. That one's on me. I'll, I'll put... Uh, some of our personal business out here. Uh, if, if you've never been a preacher's wife or a pastor's wife, you should pray for them because it's a dangerous place to give a husband a microphone as he talks about family. Kimberly and I, genuinely, we have a great marriage across the board. There are certain times, though, over the 15 years that we've been together, 14 years, almost 14 and a half years being married, that we've not landed on the same page by way of agreeing. Are you following me? Okay, so in those moments, we have a disagreement. Kimberly's personality is completely opposite of mine. You know, so Kimberly, and I don't know if any of you ladies are this way, but you know, when, when the brain gets triggered and the emotions happen, she'll cry. Oftentimes she'll cry. Well, that's not my response, okay? So I don't respond with crying. You know, I respond with, what are you crying for? Like, let's just bury it in the box and move on. Like, I got the boxes open. Why are you crying? Well, because one year ago or whatever. I'm in trouble. I know I am. 
Let me tell you some of the hardest times in our relationship, though, for me, has been when I had to swallow my pride and admit to Kimberly, I'm owning this one. In the middle of our, our transition here, moving from Maryland, we planted Go Church, we moved back to Atlanta, um, the stress level was high. How many of you have ever moved before, like across the country? You know, like, stress of all of that and the finances and all of that. So one morning we got up, we were living in Maryland, we got up and um, I, I went into the bathroom and she was brushing her teeth and the way she was brushing her teeth just annoyed me. <laughs> just really bothered me, you know, like toothpaste. I'm like, come on, get it together. <laughs> and so she said, you know, like, good morning and then like toothpaste. I was like, come on, like, good morning to you, my God. And we, for whatever reason, we just got into an argument o over nothing. Now, I know you've never experienced that. <laughs> like your family, you just come to listen to me be very therapeutic for my family. You've got it, you've got it all figured out. But I, I remember being so angry that we lived in a townhome, a three-level townhome, and I marched down the steps. I'm going to work. And I could hear, <laughs> and in my mind, I thought, good. <laughs> Cry it out. Because when I get home, I need dinner. I reached for the door. God is my witness. I reached for the door. When my hand hit the handle, the Holy Spirit said, how dare you treat her that way? Who do you think you are? And I had a choice, and I'm being really honest with you. Everything inside of me wanted to walk out of that house, get in my car, and go to the office. But I had a weeping wife because of my immaturity turned around, walked back up the steps. Kimberly was now sitting in the bathroom floor crying. Put my arms around her and I said, this is on me. This is on me. And I told her, I said, Kimberly, I said, I refuse to let the enemy steal today. And if God will forgive me and you'll forgive me, today can be the greatest day we've had as a married couple. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I think a lot of times, especially men, and I'll talk to you, we've got pride issues. And our goal is to win the argument or to get out of the responsibility. Or, but what if we had the same mindset as Christ and say, you know what, I'll gladly lose. And I'll gladly serve. And Kimberly, I'll gladly give my life if that means you get one. That is acknowledging your issues. To say, you know what, I'm not better than, but I need the grace of Jesus Christ. The second thing is this, you need to ask your family, what do you need from me? Triple A here, don't ask yourself what your family needs. Ask your family what your family needs. What do you need from me? Now, this is a terrifying question because of the potential outcome of the answers. Almost every anniversary that Kimberly and I spend together, we'll go to dinner or get away. And at some point in that conversation, I'll ask, now how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better dad? And she'll look at me and I'll say, you can tell me, because I want to be the best husband. I want to be the best dad. Most of the time, I would almost bet 100% of the time she's telling me stuff I already know about me. 
But then I try my best to take that information and apply it like maximum effort to my relationship with Kimberly and then my relationship with the kids. You would be surprised if you set your wife down or husband down and said, what do you need from me? I just need more time with you. I never see you. Or, Dad, I, I want you to come to a baseball game. Mom, I'd like you to be at the recital. And then you took the response and you say, you know what? I know what they need from me. What if they said, I'd love to read the Bible together. I can't tell you genuinely the last time we've prayed together as a family that my kids have not been the ones to lead the prayer. Because what do you need? Well, we want to pray together. And now they've heard us pray. And even last night, my almost four-year-old daughter, London, almost four, this was her prayer. And I'm not kidding you. I wish we could have recorded it, right? She said, in Jesus' name, I speak against sickness, illness, injury, disease, danger, death, anything evil, harmful. I speak against fear. And then she took her own hand, laid it on her forehead and said, and I speak against worry in Jesus' name. Why? Why? Because I said, what does my family, don't cry, Kimberly, because I won't be able to hold it together. Because what does my family need? They need a praying mom. They need a praying dad. Do you hear me? Because love doesn't ask, what can you do for me? Jesus said, what do you need me to do for you? Jesus is love, God is love, and he demonstrated that love through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And I just wonder, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to love your family the way that they need to be loved? And then here's the third one. I want you to affirm your commitment. Parents, stop screaming divorce. Dads, stop threatening to leave. Moms, Stop using your kids as leverage. Kids, stop saying you're going to run away. Stop. Affirm your commitment to each other. It's the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, I've never left you and I'll never forsake you. And what if we bought into that same principle? Listen, the rain will come. The wind will blow. The waters will rise. But daddy's not leaving. Mama's not going anywhere. When we go through good times, we'll celebrate together. And when we go through painful times, we'll grow through them together. But I am in this for the long haul. I'm in it for the long haul. It's Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your fight your arguing, your bickering is not with spouse or children or parents. Come on. The real fight is against the enemy. The real fight is against the enemy. And we say, I'm going to put on the whole armor of God, and I'm going to hang in there because my family needs me. And some of you, I don't know who you are, but you're on the verge of separation. Come on, fight. Let your family know we are not fighting against each other. We're fighting for each other. And you turn your attention to the adversary. And you stand on the word of God that he's given us the power through the Holy Spirit to fight for our family. Come on and put your hands together, church. It's a great place.
Amen. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. And I wonder, what if you took this verse and you put your own name in? JC, is he patient? JC, are you kind? JC, are you envious? JC, do you love to boast? To puff out your chest and be proud? JC, do you dishonor your children and your spouse and you put them down because you've had a long day at work? JC, are you seeking self-ambition? JC, are you easily angered? And you justify that because of stress? JC, are you keeping records of wrong? JC, are you delighting in evil, or do you know that it's the truth that'll set your family free? JC, are you always protecting? Are you always trusting? Are you always hoping? And here it is. And will you always persevere? Because the rain will come, the waters will rise, and the wind will blow. But when our home is built on the rock, we can affirm our commitment. Here's the prayer. Are you giving your family? Are you giving your marriage? Are you giving your kids your very best effort? Are you giving them your very best?